RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Happy Friday, everybody. Guess what? St. Patrick's Day is over. We're starting to wind it down and go into the big time of spring, man. We're moving into spring. It's the end of March. Can you, are you, like, this is blowing my mind right now. How fast time is just blowing through. Okay. Beginning of the year. Like we had, you know, we were moving into a whole nother world, a crazy world that we're walking into. We got crazy shit going on with politics. We got crazy shit going on with with viruses that are happening across the world. I mean, we got some really weird shit going on. But I think that in the midst of all of that, if all of us kind of stepped back a little bit and got off of our phones, unless you're listening to this show, got off of our phones for a little bit, had real live conversations with people, you know, I find it that one of the reasons why I love to do this show so much is because I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody. I'm not staring at a phone. I'm not reading about somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm physically engaging and talking and learning about somebody who I don't know, but that interests me. And, you know, I saw something the other day that said the whole world seems like it's just going to shit because that's what's being put in front of us. But if you have conversation with the people around you, it's really not that it's not that bad at all. You know, the problems that we're seeing within our government, within, um, you know, uh, within the world between viruses and hunger and, and, and everything else that's going on and violence and war. And, um, you know, and, and I can't stop saying it, but just all the negative uh, world that our public, that our government has been putting in front of us to be able to sit back and have a conversation with people is a really, it's, it's a relief. It's like a vacation. Um, I love doing this show every week because of the fact that I get to bring people to you guys that interest me. Um, you know, some of the guests that we've had on are, are friends of mine. Some of the guests that we've had on are controversial in some ways. Um, some of the guests that we've had on were, you know, a little boring in some ways, but they brought something to the show, which was an, an, an education into the world that they live in. You know, whether they're a chef or a bartender or a porn star or a flight attendant or a foreman or whatever it is, they're bringing an insight into your world, which is what I like to do. I'm an inquisitive person. I like to get as much information information as I possibly can in every situation. You know, I meet somebody on a plane. I'm the one who's doing the talking. I'm the one who's asking the questions. I want to know about you um, because it, it it's a different world. It's something that we didn't know about. When was the last time you had a conversation with a 45-year-old mother of, you know, a 17-year-old kid? When was the last time you had a conversation with a grandmother who has three kids and, and grandchildren? You know, I mean, there's like you, there, there are different parts and you see different lights and different focuses and different positives and different negatives in the world that they're living in, which isn't the world that you're living in. So I say this to my girls all the time. 
put your phones down for a little while and talk to some people. You know, it's why we like dinner. It's why we try to keep the phones out of dinner. And it's why I like doing this goddamn show because I have conversations with people. So um, pretty crazy week that we just kind of got through with the St. Patrick's Day. I was down there in Fort Myers, Florida again with my boys at City Tavern, um, Kevin and the entire crew who just crush it, man. They do such an amazing job of hospitality and accessibility to the public um, for a really crazy day. So, you know, Fort, uh, uh, Fort Myers puts on a huge St. Patrick's Day, uh, you know, kind of um, carnival in a way. Um, that's a street festival. Everybody walks around and people are serving food. And I do corned beef and cabbage cheesesteaks and I bang out 750 corned beef and cabbage cheesesteaks in a day. I cook. I stand in the heat. I work with the guys. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Um because it brings me back to the cooking days. It brings me back to the, 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 the no brain, just execute. Think about what it is that's going on at that exact moment. Don't focus on anything from the morning. Don't focus on what's going to happen at the end of the day. You're in a zone. Um, and that zone is such a great place to be, uh, when, you know, we, we talk about being chefs all the time and the creative freedom that we have and the opportunity that we have to express ourselves, um, through food, through getting food from our brain, um, our creative process of putting it together to having to training a staff, to put it on a plate, to getting it on that plate. Um, accepting that plate, finalizing that plate, executing that plate, putting the plate out to the dining room, and then having somebody look at you, look through that window. Um, you know, I love the chef movies that I've seen in the past where a dish goes out and it sits on a table and the chef is watching from the window because there's a gratification to that. There's something that's really enjoyable to us as chefs for that. It's not just about you know, the, the glitz and glamour of, of what it's like to be a chef these days, the rock star world of what it's like to be a chef. It all comes down to the fact that we put food together, we put it on a plate and our guests really enjoy that. And it was, uh, you're going to hear this kind of reiterated, um, through my next guest. Um, we've got chef Amanda Freitag on the show from this week, and I really want to make it apparent that I utilize that word chef first because that's what uh, chef was, is prior to getting involved in the TV world and the execution world of, of being in social media and in front of a camera all the time and having to be on stage to do demonstrations and travel and private dinners and cooking events and all that, that first and foremost, you're a chef and that we all find that piece of the line, the roar of the check, the checks that are coming into the kitchen, the expediting, the conversation of marking off dupes and where you are and talking to your cooks. There's something that is uh, therapeutic about that. It's kind of, you know, it brings you to uh, a really comfortable place. At least it does for me. And I know that it does for Amanda because we're about to, we just, we're having this conversation. So if you guys can do me a favor and welcome to Duffified Live for this week, Chef Amanda Freitag. Good morning, Chef. How are you? Good morning. I feel like it's still morning. I just got back from South Beach for the Wine Fest, so I'm a little groggy. <laughs> oh my God, how was it? Woo! It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. It was a good year. I felt yes. like this was probably one of my favorite years so far. Actually. It seemed like it was a uh, a much more casual, uh, yeah. like kind of carnival atmosphere. Yes, it definitely. Um, I think it was a little lighter. I think um, everybody had the perfect amount of things to do. It wasn't overloaded. And I had a great time. I can't speak for anybody else, but I had a blast. Good. So my voice is a little scratchy today, too. I usually have a great voice for radio, but I'm a little scratchy. So I apologize, everybody (laughs) out there. 
<laughs> so what did you what did you do while you were down there? Did you? Um, I um, I did a couple of things actually. I got I snuck in a couple of days early, and I was hanging out with Chef Julian Garriga at the Kimpton Anglers Hotel. They just opened the hotel. They redid it. Beautiful hotel, sixty one million dollar renovation, and. The restaurant's great. The cocktails are great. Um, so we did some social media stuff with him because I just love what they're doing. And then I popped over to the Lowe's where I stayed. I call it kind of call it Grand Central Station <laughs> over there. And I had a dinner at a restaurant called Malibu Farm, which is at Eden Rock Hotel on Friday night um, with Mark Murphy and Helena Henderson, the owner of Malibu Farm. And it was a blast. You know, we, you know, you got a couple of, random chefs in the kitchen and then the, the kitchen crew is excited to have us there and we always have a good time. Um, and then I did some really fun stuff with Guy Fieri. So I have a show coming up uh, that I appear on called Tournament of Champions that Guy mm-hmm. Fieri did. Um, he wanted to make it March Madness style uh, bracket. And he also wanted to make it like the ultimate tournament. He wants to top Iron Chef. He wants to top chops. He wants to top them all. So wow. I've kind of taken myself out of competition for a little while. And he pulled me back in. So we did a really <laughs> fun promotion for it on the demo stage. And Guy is the greatest hype man of all time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He really knows how to get a crowd going. He throws t-shirts, he gives them margaritas, you know. Um, I feel like our cooking and our, our competition that we did on stage was sort of an afterthought, but we had a blast. And, I, and Mark and I were a team and we won. So yay, oh, that's cool. us. Nice. Yeah. All right, so we just went through all that, so now we have to tell everybody who you are, what you do, oh. and how they can get in contact with you. Oh, great. Yes. Well, well now you, you hooked them already. Now they're all interested. <laughs> well, I'm Amanda Freitag. I, you know, I, I I'm going to continue to call myself a chef, but my fish out of water imposter syndrome now, because I'm not in a restaurant is, is eating me alive. Uh, you may see me as a judge on Food Network Chopped, but I've been a chef in New York for over 25 years, um, which is probably something I should talk about because I don't know if a lot of people know that. They see me on television and they may not know that I worked my ass off <laughs> to get there. And that wasn't even the end goal, ironically. So I live here in New York City. I do a lot of stuff on Food Network, a lot of appearances, a lot of festivals, private dinners. I cook a lot. I do a video series called Easy AF on Instagram TV and YouTube. My Instagram is Chef Amanda F. My Twitter is Amanda Freitag. And my YouTube channel is Amanda Freitag. So tune in. Very nice. Well done. Thank you. I agree with you that I think that a lot of people don't know what we at what you did prior yeah. to what you do now. The- yeah, I mean, I think attention spans are short. Even, you know, I said yes to doing that Guy Fieri tournament because I don't even think my fans who are watching me now saw me compete on Iron Chef or to become an Iron Chef, even those years, you know, um, 2009, I competed to become an Iron Chef on something called Next Iron Chef. They don't do that show anymore, but, um, and I was in the final four. And then in 2012, I came back to compete again to become an Iron Chef on a redemption season. (laughs) And I made it to the final two, you know, so I was doing a lot of competition when I first started doing stuff on Food Network, which was in 2008. 
But prior to that and during that time, well, during that time, I was a chef at a restaurant called The Harrison in Tribeca. Um, but prior to that, I, you know, I started working in New York City as a line cook in 1991. I mean, it, I've been doing this for a really long time, you know, and I, I love telling this story because it just gives you a little, a little glimpse into what that world used to be like. When I worked as a line cook, I worked at a restaurant called Vong, which was a Thai French concept for John George Von Gerichten, um, who is, you know, a very prolific, very famous chef, um, who now has restaurants, at countless restaurants all over the globe. He just opened and the for seasons. Yep. yep. He's, he's an incredible guy. And he's also, a genuinely lovely person, which is another reason why I respect him so much. Um, but at the time he had a restaurant called Jojo and he had a restaurant called Vong that I worked at. And that was it. Two restaurants in New York city. And you know, that just gives you an idea of how that was the beginnings of everything that we know now and everybody we know now. And, you know, I was a line cook and I was busting my ass six days a week you know, as many hours as they would let me because I wanted to come in early to prep my station every day. And, you know, I, I was, I did that for a really long time. You know, I was a line cook for at least 10 years before I even thought that I could become a sous chef. I, for me, that was my own, you know, rules that I instilled upon myself. And, um, you know, so I have a long history of New York restaurant life. You know, I went and worked after that with a woman named Diane Forley at a restaurant called Rubina. That was my longest stint and she was my main mentor. I started as, as a line cook, became a sous chef, and then became a chef de cuisine there. I was there for six years, which nobody stays in restaurants for six years anymore. God. Um, but we, we created a beautiful culture uh, in the kitchen and, you know, it was just a great atmosphere and a, a wonderful place to work. And, you know, I jumped out of there and I started cooking that, you know, Verbena was like French technique, a lot of Middle Eastern flair, which nobody was doing at the time, a lot of Mediterranean. And we were right by the Union Square Green Market. So I started to get into the vibe of seasonal at that time. And then I cooked Italian, authentic Italian food for about seven years. I worked with um, Sarah Jenkins, who's a very famous Italian chef. She's, um, she cooks mostly Tuscan Umbrian food. And I got the bug for that, you know, growing, I grew up in New Jersey. So growing up in New Jersey, uh, you know, until I went to culinary school, it was red sauce Italian, <laughs> which is such a bad representation of what, you know, Italy is, you know, authentic regional cuisine. I mean, there's no one Italian cuisine, you know, when you go to the right. North, there's creamy and, and, and dumplings and more potatoes. And then you go to the South and it's spicy and capers and eggplant and, you know, seafood. So I learned a lot and, you know, my career took me to many, many, many different places. Um, so I worked Italian uh, in a, many different Italian restaurants all over New York City, opened them for a few different chefs. And then um, I got poached from my last job. I was at a place called Gusto. And when I went to do uh, the chef to be the chef at the Harrison. And it was a, it was a probably one of my biggest accomplishments, I would say, because it was a beloved restaurant that had opened right after September 11th in 2001. And in 2008, it was sort of, you know, it was declining. It wasn't as interesting. People weren't going there anymore. And, 
you know, over my career, I'd opened restaurants for other chefs and gotten many different New York Times reviews. And this is a big one because this was all about me. And we were so then we were taking an old restaurant and trying to make it new again. And we were uh, again, I don't think anybody in this day and age really gets that we were under review period and how important that was. It, to me, we lived and died by the New York Times. You know, it wasn't Yelp. It wasn't sure. Instagram. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't there. You know, well, that whole time was just crazy. Yeah, it was di- it was a completely different vibe. And, and, you know, what I loved about the New York chef community is we all knew each other and we all supported each other. We would read about each other right. in the Times. We would wait for that review to come out, mm-hmm. you know, in Gourmet, in Bon App, in Time Out. You know, uh, we would just know who was doing what at every moment, you know, and we would all on our day off, you know, when I was a line cook, a sous chef, a chef, and that whole time I would go to other chefs' restaurants and be like, okay, what are they doing? Check it out, support them. You know, we always treated chefs really well who would come into our places. It was just like a symbiotic relationship. It's like, oh, you have a day off? All right, I'm going to treat you well. You know, come in, I'll show you what I'm doing. And, you know, I think the, the, the industry's gotten so flooded with people who want to be in it. It's now so hard to keep up because it's not just keeping up in New York or San Francisco, sure. which it was back then. You know, it's all across the country. Well, and I don't with chefs who are everywhere. It's I love that, but also I can't keep up. <laughs> well, there, there. I mean, it's it used to be. I mean, that idea of New York during that '90s time frame. I mean, that's when I was in culinary school. I graduated culinary yeah. school in '94. So right. for me, I mean, the idea of being a line cook in New York was like a coveted thing. Like that was stuff oh, that we talked about. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was that was a massive accomplishment. I mean, to oh, be yeah. able to do that during that time and. To go and try another chef, like now you want to see, I mean, I hate to say it, you look at another chef's food and you go, wow, that looks good. But how many of us have actually gone and eaten that food and done that? When at that time, that's where all my money went. That's where all my money went. I I agree. That's a hundred percent. And I feel like that was just a universal vibe. And yeah. You know, in a way, that was our Instagram, right? Because how else were we going to see the food? Yeah, Maybe exactly. we would get a magazine spread here and there, um, but how else were we going to see the plates, the dishes? You know, think about it. We would go to those dinners. I remember going to Lespinas. I remember going to Jojo. I remember going to Danielle. I remember going to Boulay. Yeah. I didn't take any pictures of the food. No, you remember. You was, tasted it and you were you were inspired at that moment. Yeah. I mean, did you take a picture of the food? What would we take oh my, a picture of? Could you like imagine? A camera? <laughs> what are you going to put? Exactly. The old green Kodak's going to come out. You're going to, you're going to spin the wheel. I mean, it didn't. And, I, and not only that, but it was a It was almost like, well, it was a distraction to what it was I that you were even, actually even, doing. Yeah. It never even crossed my mind. It's so yeah. funny to think about it now, actually, because I couldn't remember the dishes very clearly. And, um, I actually have a, um, a small little habit of collecting menus. Oh my God. And that I, was, it's horrible. I steal you, them everywhere. I, I know. I'm trying to stop now because there are a lot of them are online. I just ask for a to go menu anymore, but there's something about that. I mean, I'm not, I have, I have a Wolfgang. That's the way menu. I remembered the dishes though. Right. Yes. Like that was the way we remembered. Yeah. I mean, I have a Wolfgang yeah. Puck menu that was signed for me that my, unfortunately, my ex-wife had given to me as a gift once. It still hangs in my dining room in my house. Yeah. Like the physical I mean, menu important. was huge. Yeah. It was a big menu. Yeah. I know. I just, I wish I could sort of find a way 
to get that experience to young cooks right now. And there's no way to go back. And I, I, you know, I feel like when I talk about it, I sound like a grandma, but you know, those were such special moments because I would go, you know, and I remember going to Jojo and John George is making like this carrot juice reduction sauce. And I was like, holy shit, how (laughs) do you do it? And then I was trying to figure out how to do it for the next two months, you know, and it's like, you get so inspired purely by eating the food, you know, um, going to Lesbian trying to figure out how. You gain technique because you're trying. You're trying to re- you're trying right. to replicate something that you tasted that you're doing by memory at that point because you didn't take a picture of it. You weren't taking notes of it. You didn't text somebody to talk nope. about it. There wasn't a Google to search it. You were trying to recreate that by taste and sight of something it that you saw. It was your taste memory, and yeah. like that, somebody was just asking me about that because they. I was eating a dinner with them and they were like, how do you do it? Like, how do you know everything that's in there? And I was just like, that's just how I you learned. Do. You know, yeah. I had to train my brain and I had to train my nose. I had to train my palate um, to detect those things. Because if I wanted to create something similar or if I wanted to create my own, like the balance that I'm looking for. Um, and I think we still, I still push myself to get inspired, but, on a different level now. I don't go out as much in New York. I'll go when I travel to different cities because that's the most interesting to me to see what young chefs are doing in other cities now, smaller cities, because I think that's really where the creativity is at. But I go international and I, I'm constantly now trying to learn about cultures that I've never even seen before. And that is a whole nother world. And I think you have to keep going and learning, you know, and bring that back. Well, and I mean, we we all feel that we have access to the world because of what's in front of us in our hand. You know, we feel like we're cultured because we've seen those things. But for me, (laughs) flying 100,000 miles a year now and going to different cities and meeting different cooks and meeting different chefs and, and going into different restaurants and just the engagement of other people around you is what I have found inspires the food that I do now, which is more simple, more fun. You know, that's kind of the way that I like to cook because those are the people that I've interacted with over the last 10 years. Right. And I still take, you know, if I see something that blows my mind away on Instagram or something like that, I'll screenshot it and I'll pop it into a folder. And if I'm on a plane, I'll take a look at something. But there's something to be said about going out physically, standing, sitting, waiting, talking, smelling, eating that will never be replicated ever. It won't. You can't. I mean, you're, you're sitting at a table with the people who have made that food and they're talking to you about their culture and their history you're never going to get that from one photo. Right. You're not. But I, I do, I, on the flip side, I love that the world has become a little smaller and that somebody might see that photo and yeah. say, you know what? I never thought I wanted to go to Jordan, but I'm going to go. Yeah. You know, and I think it makes people just a little, a little braver, you know, a little more courageous to go and try other places where they'd never go before. And I think it makes our industry interesting because people are really now tapping into their ethnicity and saying, wait a minute, my grandparents were Korean and I want to cook that food. Okay, great. You know, I have, 
you know, this Swedish background. I need to dig into this Nordic cuisine, you know? So I think people are representing themselves more because I, I don't know about you, but when I was coming up, you know, it wasn't about my background. It was about what I could cook and who my mentors were. It wasn't yeah. about my actual physical family background. It was like, okay, you work for John George, you have French. Okay, you work for Diane Forley, you have that beautiful Mediterranean touch. Okay, t- you know, Sarah Jenkins taught you that Italian. You know, and that was my history. That was how my, you know, food background came together. It wasn't because of my family. And now I think it's very interesting that people are pulling from their ethnicities less than they're pulling from their chef mentors. Well, it's like they've, um, that we've, we, and you, you kind of nailed it by saying that the world has become a little bit smaller in, in, in where we are, because you're right. You can, I mean, before it was like New York, LA, those right. were your restaurant destinations. And if right. you were lucky enough to get out to LA because flying wasn't what it is now, you know, it's no. not as easily accessible. You got out to LA, you know, you went to Spago, you went right. to, you know, there were, there were certain places that you went to. to. That was my, like, that was my West coast. Like San Francisco so, to me was, yeah. was as if it was in the, on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how far away San Francisco was to me. I know. And I know. my first time there, uh, it was like there was an explosion from the set, the, the sound of the city, the smell of the city, the oh, sea yeah. air that's in front of you, the conversations that were happening. I mean, now I just walk. The produce. And, oh, my God. And now the fact that there's so many people there, the ethnicities. I mean, I had a, I had dinner at a Filipino place whatever, three months ago, I just went, I just took a walk. I left my hotel. I made a right. I walked seven blocks and found a Filipino place that I sat there for three hours and talked to the chef who cooked in front of me. Uh, San Francisco is wonderful. And I mean, mean, talk about being blown away. A hundred million years ago, I went to French Laundry with a friend Mm -hmm. of mine, (laughs) you know, and I mean, it was just, just even seeing wine country, which I hadn't been up to, you know, just was mind-blowing you know mind-blowing heavenly like a culinarian to be in that part i mean because and i don't know what it is i don't know if i feel that that the that that everything is fast-tracked at this point right you know, yes. there is no more. Where did you start? Well, I was 14. I was washing dishes until two, three o'clock in the morning on New Year's right. Eve. You know, that's I was what a I did. Year old bus girl. Oh my right. God. <laughs> I mean, now, now you're a 23 year old kid who just got interested in something. So you may decide to make that, that leap into culinary school because you've been recruited or right. you're 18, you're about to graduate high school and you've been heavily recruited to go into culinary school. There's a fast track for all of that because I felt the same way. The first time that I was up in Sonoma and Napa, it was like, it was a, I felt like I was in Europe, you know, yeah, exactly. like, I mean, the conversation, the food, the class, the culture that was happening out there just wasn't something that I'd ever seen before. And that was a first bug for me for that first round of travel, you know, and then I found Ernie's bar on my way into Sonoma. Have you ever been to Ernie's? No. Oh, my God. Drive in from San Francisco. Drive in from San Fran. Take the normal route in to get into Sonoma and Napa. And there is a garage that is a bar and it's called Ernie's. There's no cell phones allowed. It is an actual garage with a bar attached to it. And I can't it's, believe I've it's never been great, there. It's a great afternoon. 
it's a great afternoon. Like it lightens up your, 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 your calming down. They have games that they play on the bar and people are playing cards and dice and nobody's on their phone because one, there's horrible cell service. Because well, it's, it's so funny building. that you say that. One of the last times I was sort of Northern California, I went with a friend to Point Reyes and, you know, we sat outside and had oysters. Oh my God. Did you take the coast up? Yeah. Seashore highway or sea line yeah. highway or whatever. Yes. And it was incredible. And I remember sitting there and I was like, no. I think I had like one Service. work thing that I had to check on and I picked up my phone and I had absolutely no service. Between mission and hog Island. There is not a cell bar to be found. And you, you could see, uh, we were sitting with these people. I think, I can't remember where they were from. They were from somewhere in the Midwest because we were sitting at like these communal tables. Right. And I kept picking up my phone and my friend was kind of laughing at me. because He was like, <laughs> you're not going to, nothing's going to happen. So you might right. as well just let it go. Yeah. And it took me a solid hour to be okay with not, having my phone. I was like, well, he's right. I'm just going to get some more oysters yeah. and some more wine. And it was so refreshing. Not I drove the, in. The, I mean, the oysters were incredible and you know, the afternoon was stunning, uh, beautiful weather. And, but it was just, I was forced to be in that moment. Like we were talking about before when we would just go to restaurants and focus on the food. I, uh, Point Reyes seashore. Uh, was I've actually got a picture and I have my Ruizing hat on that I made for uh, oh, nice. Carl's funeral. Yeah. And uh, when I went down to Miami after that, but there was, and that was a day I was, I, it was, it was pretty much right after he had passed away. And, uh, and I was by myself. I flew into San Fran. I was driving up to Napa to meet friends and, and I had five and a half hours of by myself on a road in a car, no cell service, wow. no Wi-Fi, and I was listening to the radio and That's local radio. radio stations and people talking and 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 it was the most it was there's you know there's there's a period of time especially during travel where you kind of find that time to yourself where you get that thought process and you're like damn it I wish I could post this picture or whatever but there's a right. piece of it at the same time where you are kind of alone with stuff. It, it was, it was one of the greatest days, one of the greatest drives that I've had in, in a really, really long time. Yeah. Was that drive it, up. You know, it's beautiful. And I mean, I just think it's funny because I, you know, I've, so after the Harrison, I took over the empire diner in New York, um, for, for about two years. I just didn't, the partnership didn't work. And it was fun for me to do something like that, um, because it brought together, a lot of the things that I love of the Highland food that I did and like I extracted comfort food from that. Right. And I love to cook comfort food. And like, I remember the very first weekend that I had like a free weekend from culinary school and my parents came up to visit me. They're like, well, where do you want to go? And it takes you <laughs> somewhere fancy. What do you want to eat? I was like, I want a fucking burger. <laughs> I want to yeah. go to the diner and I want to have a burger. So I remember when I was opening the diner, I was like, this to me is just brings me home and it brings me back. And, you know, there was, that was a very intense experience, obviously a high pressure restaurant, just like any of them. And, you know, I would expedite all the time. And it was one of my favorite jobs in the kitchen, you know, after coming up and training everybody because you're the conductor and you're in charge of everything. And the thing that I miss the most about that, and I always say this, there's nothing my mind would actually be very calm 
in those moments of chaos because you are laser focused. You cannot think about anything else. If you were to lose your focus for a second, the whole board would collapse and nobody would know what was going on and and the whole dining room would would just be in the weeds, you know? So I miss, the one thing that I miss about that is the the calm mind because yep. you, for me when you give me time I, I'm a monkey brain you know so I really miss that because you can't think about anything else you you're you've got your hands moving on ten different plates you're you're marking off the dupes you're talking to the waiters you're talking to the cooks you know what every single person is doing <laughs> at every single moment and there's nothing else you can think about and that I miss. And that I used to love, you know, that part of just the chaos, but the, you know, the calm and the chaos in the brain, you know, you're moving every single part of your body, but your brain is just focused and that I miss, you know, cause you, I can't get much of that anymore. And I find that, you know, being in the world that we live in now, there's a lot of distractions. Oh my God. A lot. Across the board. Across the, yeah. I mean, every single thing, whether it's, you know, an email or a text message, or we've got to get this done. And I mean, I like, you know, I mean, I do, I mean, I do it. My, I have my hands in a lot of different stuff from a cookie company in Alaska to, you know, an olive oil company in Mexico, to my restaurant in Philadelphia, to the podcast, right. to a web series to, I mean, it's like, you know, it's never ending, wow. but, yeah. but it's, it's, there's when my favorite point, I mean, like I work my line on Wednesday nights. I work yeah. my line. Um, it's a one-man kitchen. I'm in the kitchen. Nobody's telling that. me. Nobody's I, anything. It's just I, me. You know, if you were to ask me if, what, what I am, I'd just say I'm a dirty line cook because that's like who I am at heart. <laughs> so love, true. That's just who I am. Like, I lo- <laughs> and I love cooking. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. And, you know, nobody lets me do that anymore. Like, a friend of mine was like, why don't you just ask somebody if you can come in and work on the line for a little bit. I'm like, nobody will let me, nobody's going to want me to work on their line. They're going to set it all up for me. And they're going to be like, okay, we'll have 10 cooks, you know, if you need help, (laughs) nobody's going to let me get in there. I did a dinner. I did a dinner at a, uh, at an event out in, uh, in, uh, where the hell was I? Vancouver, Washington, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. And I walked into the kitchen and I was like four hours early. And they're like, chef, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm here to fucking prep, man. What do you mean? What am I doing here? Where are we? And they're like, chef, everything is done already. They're like, yeah. we never have chefs who come in early just to, I'm yes. like, well, let, let's, let me, can I hop on the line? What do you guys cook? Like, I couldn't yeah. wait to do it, to wipe every plate, to put the protein in the center, to readjust, to have right. a conversation with the chefs about how you want to present it and have their collaboration at the same time. Is exactly. So I know. Important. I get that same feedback. They're like, why are you so hands on, chef? We got yeah. it. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, this is what, what it is. This, this is, is what, what it's it is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, other chefs just on their teams. I'm like, I'm my team. <laughs> I, I'm my own team. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my assistant um, was in the kitchen taking pictures and doing all that stuff. And she's plating. You know, she's yeah. my assistant. She doesn't work full time for me. She works for AT&T, for God's sakes. You know, right. she works part time <laughs> for me and she's plating and wiping plates. And I mean, there's just there's so much about that. But it also, that's the calm. Right. That's the exactly. Calm. You know, I yeah, mean, if you can get that moment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then the best part is at the end of the night when you crack the beer. Yes. 
and exactly. you're with the whole team and everybody's just hanging out. And honestly, when I saw you at Mohegan, that is probably one of my favorite events because there is the cracking of the beer with every yeah. at the end of the night. At the end We're of the night. the same area. Well, and you know what's so interesting to me now that I'm, I'm outside a restaurant, but I have the great fortune of being able to do stuff like you know, private dinners, let's say with MasterCard or doing events with a festival or doing a corporate dinner. And it takes me all over the country and I'll go into either a hotel kitchen or catering kitchen, or I'll be a guest chef in somebody else's restaurant. And anything that I miss about my own kitchen, I find in every other kitchen, it's universal, the good and the bad, you know, like I remember going into a kitchen really early for an event. And it was Friday and the chef was helping me prep. It was just he and I, because we were both sort of short staff. I couldn't bring anybody with me and he didn't have anybody, you know, and we're looking for products. Somebody had to run somewhere to get something. And he kept getting interrupted because it was payday. So at this point, it came up, chef, my check, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Chef, I have a problem with check. You know, and I was like, okay. And then I remember going to the ice machine to get something, and the ice machine was broken. And somebody else was doing something, and, you know, somebody was cleaning (laughs) the walk-in. I was like, this is universal. There's nothing unique about, like, I always think, oh, is it different now because I'm out of it? Is it different now because people are taking pictures of everything they do in the kitchen? You know, is it different? What am I missing? It's the same. And it's the same everywhere. I'll tell you, I did something in London. I did something in Jordan. I did something in Israel. It's all the same, you know, and and the good and the bad. And the best part about that is even just, just now being in Miami, it's like, we worked with these guys all afternoon and then we put out the dinner and we did. We had that glass of wine. We had that beer at the end of the night. We got to know every single one of them in a short amount of time, yeah. you know, and that was my crew for the day. So I got, I had that crew for the day now, and you, it was do, great. Do you do, do you do anything for your crew when you're done with them? Like when I come in as a guest? Like, yeah, when you come in as a guest, I mean, you know, I always try to bring like, spices and hats and I am known for buying beers for the kitchen. Like I will always buy a round. How many guys are in the kitchen tonight? 10. Great. Can you buy them a beer for the end of the night? Like those are my, well, you have the great fortune of having your brand branded stuff, which I'm trying to work on with my Mm. AF brand now, which Um, I love by the way, right now. I think that's awesome. The YouTube with the, I love that. It's just because it's it's like there's so much to say about that. There's just so much to say about it. I mean, AF alone, we all know, you know, as fuck, that's what it is. Like, but the fact that it's but that it's your name it's is just initials. badass. <laughs> I know. I have. I'm so lucky to have met um, this this person. His name is Kedzie Teller, who's now my digital marketing manager, which is his fancy title. And I call him my social media guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I needed help. I, you know, I've been struggling a lot because I have an analog brain, probably like you, I'm not as digital and about really pumping up my numbers. And I realized that's the way to get to your fans and your people who want to support you. And I had to, I had to ask somebody for help and he was the right person. We met in Philly actually. Oh, nice. And, um, we've been working together since September. And the best part about it was, I just thought I got to take this into my own hands. 
I'm not good at it. I'm not a narcissist. I mean, you have to be good at social to put that phone in your face. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me pouring my coffee in the morning. Look at me taking (laughs) poop. Like I am not that person. (laughs) I take pictures of my shoes everywhere I fly. Every time I fly, I have hundreds of pairs of shoes now because of this stupid fucking Instagram. (laughs) Cause everybody's like, Oh, you wore those last time. I'm like, Oh, I got to buy a new pair of shoes. Right. I mean, what it forces you to do, but the great part was, you know, because I always want to do more with Food Network because right now, and I'm so happy I did this tournament because people will get to see me cook again. Um, But mostly people see me sit behind a judge's table and I'm edited to be pretty stern and I'm not, I'm very light. I like to have a good time. You know, if you know what you're doing in the kitchen and everybody's set, then you can have fun. You know, like, I like to have fun with it. If you're not having fun, why the hell are you doing it? You know, like, so I'm lighter and brighter than I come off as behind that judge's table. And, you know, I want to do more with Food Network, but they have their formulaic shows that they do, you know, and they may not, you know, want more of Amanda Freitag. And so I sort of took it into my own hands. And with Kedzie, he was like, people want more of you. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he's like, no, I'm going to prove it. And then we decided to do this. And he comes up to New York once a month and we'll bank a bunch of videos. We do it here in my kitchen. He comes with his phone and some lights. He's amazing. And he edits them and puts them up. And, and is he you know, a Philly he was guy? One. He's a Philly guy. Oh, I awesome. love Philly. I would just, just want to give a huge shout out to Philly because I love it. Yeah. I love We're- that city. It's taking me a lot to not move there right now because I love it so much. Yeah. I'm a New Yorker, so it's going to be hard for me to tear the Band-Aid off, but I really love it down there. We have, I mean, right now we have the number one restaurant in the country with Zahav. Michael's going to be on. He's opening a new place right now. He's going to be on in a couple of weeks. But And, you know, I I had the great fortune of eating there when they first opened. I did a show called Unique Eat. It's brilliant. And Yeah. I mean, that salad plate that he did. In the in the beginning years, yeah, the six salads that were on the tier, the carrots oh alone, come on. To watch him that, in the hum, the hummus that he puts in that tiny little walk-in, that, the fact oh that he made that grill, that he turned that oh. into a shawarma grill, that he just ripped the grates off and put. I mean, like that's that's you know he was he was the guy who was turning the bread in the oven every day. He was yep. the guy who was working the bread station. Yeah, that's that lamb shoulder that sticks in my oh, brain. Jesus. It's this like glazy, meaty yeah, thing that came so out. Good. And there was a, a coffee cardamom ice cream that he made too that I recreated about 10 times. I would never make ice cream at home and I never will again, but I was obsessed with that ice cream and I was making it in this bullshit ice cream maker in my house, which I don't love cooking at home, by the way. It's yeah, just after being I. in commercial kitchen for your whole life, I didn't grow up like hanging on grandma's apron strings. It wasn't that for me. I grew up in restaurants. That's why I fell in love with it. I fell in love with restaurants. It wasn't home cooking for me. Um, So unless I'm surrounded by stainless steel and lots of noise and, you know, fluorescent lights, it's not as fun for me. I've got fatigue mats in my kitchen. Yeah, I mean, in my house. I mean, I've got big old bubbles, you know, I'm 48. I'm not fucking around anymore. (laughs) <laughs> so I got comfort going all the time. I mean, it's just the yeah. way it is. But I mean, I think one of the cool things about what 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 has happened with with Zahav and with all of that is that he introduced a new flavor to the world, to the United yeah. States. 
that nobody had ever had before. You know, the basics of Zatar, which is what was one of the original things that he did when he did on his non and whatnot, that nobody had ever had that before. And for him to open it in that location. Because I, I've been talking about Diane Forley, my mentor uh, quite often lately. And I worked with her at her restaurant, which opened in 1994. And I worked there until two thousand. When I look back on menus, this woman was groundbreaking. We did a chicken roulade with a quinoa chicken mousse that went through the center and a Zatar broth. Fuck, I love it. This is in 1994. Right. I'd never heard of Zatar, but she had because she had a great understanding of global cuisine. Yeah. And I had never seen it again until many years later. Nobody else was using it. And we were using it in like mid 90s at her restaurant. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. I never even worked with quinoa before. You know, she was a groundbreaking chef and it was, it was a, again about her ingredients and her spices. And I think it's so funny now that, you know, you can get Zatar anywhere. Yeah. Um, and she was using it and, you know, then of course, Michael, and I think I not at Mani for me is the Israeli chef here in New York that like she's killing it with Taim falafels, the best falafel in New York. And, you know, he introduced her Israeli cuisine here. And that's what we have. You know, it's like you guys have Zaha, we have Ainat. You know, she has Balabusa and she right. has Haim. And, you know, she has all these incredible restaurants with all these incredible flavors. Um, but I just, I needed to give Philly some love. We, we could go off on a Philly tangent. But um, anyway, my, my Philly guy, Kedzi, comes <laughs> <laughs> uh, to New York and he's he is a genius. And I think the thing that, we proved is people do want to see more uh, Amanda Fry tag, but also people want to see some very simple cooking. And, yeah. you know, I do a lot of cooking demos. I've done a lot of cooking demos. I think what people don't know about chefs is we're essentially teachers because if you don't know how to train your staff or teach your staff, right. you're going to fail. Right. Yeah. So you're a teacher. How many times have you trained a line cook? How many times have you taught somebody to make something? I mean, that's what we do. We're teachers, essentially. So, you know, teaching people how to cook is really fun for me, especially when they actually like it and learn it and use it. So, And a lot of cooking demos, I'll start off with, let's say, cutting an onion. And then I'll I'll be making something. Julianne sliced ice. I hate the French method. I'm going to let you know. Right. I I hate it. It's a, it's a useless method. And that's what we had to do. But (laughs) I'll do it. And then people will say, can you just cut the onion again? Right. And I think people are afraid to say that they don't know how to cut the onion. Well, they don't know how to hold a knife. I start off the basics of there's seven parts to a knife. Here's how you hold the knife. I'm watching you. It's not Friday the 13th. You're not Freddy Krueger. You're not going to kill anybody. Choke up on the knife a little bit and hold it in your hand. Right. And so what's what's good uh, about Kedzie and I working together when we start talking about doing videos you know, I was like, what am I going to do? I got to really be impressive. I got to do it on souffle and I'm going to make a sock. He's like, <laughs> mm, let's keep it simple. And I love that he keeps reminding me to keep it simple. You know, we cut an onion. That was one of the videos. We cut a chicken. People, I got so much response 
from just showing chicken. people how to cut a whole chicken. Because people buy chicken in parts, right? And it's much more expensive. Sure. If you know how to cut one bird, you can cut every bird. And yep. this is how you do it. You know, it was around Thanksgiving when he suggested doing a whipped cream video. I was like, I can't do it. I won't do it. No. He's like, I'm not kidding. He's like, people don't know how to make whipped cream. I'm like, I can't. This is not something I can do. He's like, we're going to do it. And people loved it. They loved it. Do you know what I did for Thanksgiving this year? I did a spatchcocked turkey that I stuffed. We totally deboned the whole thing. Stuffed it, rolled it, tied it, smoked it, and roasted it for Thanksgiving. I sold them for $119 a piece, and I sold out of them probably in the first day. Yeah. Because I showed people how to do it first talk to them about it and then walk them through the process. But it was one of those things where I love technique. The art of the preparation creates the experience. It's something that I wholeheartedly believe in, that the meal is going to be 10 times better when you're fully involved and engulfed in the preparation of the meal. And when you know what you're doing, it makes the preparation that much more fun, which makes the meal taste better at the end. So I do the same thing. That's what I I always say too. Like if you know your techniques after that, you can do anything. You can do, I mean- it's so satisfying when people say they make it. They're like, I've never, I've always been afraid to poach an egg, but Amanda, yeah. you showed me how to poach an egg. I mean, that to me is the most rewarding thing I could do. There's one person who I don't know, somewhere in the world, tuned in to this little mm-hmm. video that I made in I my house. So. Yeah. <laughs> and now they know how to poach an egg. Like the, that's, that's the positive side of what we were talking about before about the social is yeah. and now I can influence people in a way that, you know, I wrote a cookbook called the chef next door and like the subtitle was fun, fearless guide to home cooking. And, and there is something about being fearless. I hated cooking in my home kitchen. I had to get over it, you know, because I was like, I, I don't have 30,000 BTUs, you know, I right. don't have a 700 degree oven anymore. I don't have, you know, all the pots and pans and, and things that I need, but it still can be done. And these people, home cooks do it seven nights a week. Like you have to give a lot of props to people who work a full-time job and then they shop, they schlep it home, they prep it, they cook it, they serve it to their very discerning family, which is our fault because everybody's a judge. And then (laughs) they have to clean it up. You know, it's like, what? That's a lot. It's the truth. That's a lot of fucking work. Yes. Yeah. I mean, everybody says, I always try to give them a lot of props because I'm like in a restaurant, you guys, you have to know that we have a team. We pick up a phone and the produce order goes in and the produce shows up the next day. And there's a person whose job it is to put it away in the refrigerator. There's a person (laughs) whose job it is to clean it and and get it ready for the next guy who comes in, you know, like onions are already diced. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's job. And so it's a very different I never thought cooking. about that. That's so far. You're right. I never really, you know, I've always, yeah. I've always liked home cooks and I look at some of the things that everybody puts together and, you know, and, and right. every now and then you go down that, that Pinterest wormhole of sure, somebody shoving yeah. a, a log of Velveeta up a turkey's ass. But, <laughs> but I mean, but in, in reality, delicious. you're right. I mean, how many, how many family events or parties have you gone to where there is that, you know, 16 layer dip that somebody pulled up or, you know, the, the yeah. tray of crudite that looks like a Turkey, you know, with yeah. salami as, as the, you know, as the beak, it's like, <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. It is. Absolutely. My mother do does it. like, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't, there's no fucking way. There's no way. <laughs> no, nope. Here's so my somebody's dip. Home, 
some yeah. home cooks do things that are really difficult. And, and that's it. why I, I felt like I needed to give them some love and uh, obviously some recipes to, to, to guide them. And there's you know, shit that worked at home. You know, I made, I made when I, that book came out in 2015, when I did it, I was in a tiny little kitchen, galley kitchen in Chelsea, in a part of New York. And I made sure you could make every single one of those recipes in that kitchen. That's awesome. You know, yes, I had to clear my counter sometimes, you know, you, take everything off the counter. So I have room to roll the gnocchi or whatever it was, but I did it and it was doable, but I wanted to make sure it was doable because, you know, I really do honor those people who do that. It is not easy. And it is not at all like what we do in the restaurant. No. Um, and that's why, like, again, those videos to me, yeah, easy AF. And I want to keep them easy because I think for me, I don't want people to be intimidated by what I'm telling them. I want like, them to make it. Words. I want them to feel like they are in there with me. I, and I mess things up too. You know, like it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. What's the worst thing that can happen? You either eat it or throw it away and get takeout. Have you ever like done like the video? Because I'll make breakfast every morning. I'll do it all the time. But I find that I'm like posting something and then I'll be like, motherfucker, like I totally just burned those eggs. Yeah. Like I burnt the shit. Well, this is the crispy. This is the this is the northern Italian way, everybody. Right. Yeah. This is the uh, the Turkish way to do it. (laughs) I've done. Hey, when you when you're ready for your next book, I'm going to connect you to somebody. Okay. Oh, great. Who is pure brilliance. She is a wonderful individual. Um, she's the culinary producer on um, on my show now. She's a culinary oh. producer from Bar Rescue, which is where I met her. She travels with me now to do my live demonstrations for my corporate stuff. She is a brilliant individual. And her eye, she's got 17 books under her belt. And wow. she is brilliant to work with. She will dig in and she loves Ugh. women chefs. She just did uh, yeah. Nancy Silverton stuff. Oh, I love Nancy. Yeah. I'll connect That's you so guys. Great. Yeah. I want to do a second book because I love doing it so much. Joe's awesome. But it needs to be something really, something I really want to do. You know what I mean? Like I've toyed with a few ideas and I just, you know, when I first did my, other book, you know, that stuff starts two years before the book even comes out. And I was like, do people still buy books? Mm-hmm. Are people actually still That's purchasing books? But they do. I do. And I try so not to because I don't have any room anymore. But, you know, when we, we meet people all the time on Chopped, you know, and we meet young chefs and then we even meet junior chefs. We have the kids on. And when we talk to the kids, we ask them, well, how did you start cooking? You know, how do you love this so much? YouTube. Yeah. Food Network, yep. MasterChef, um, they never say cookbooks. No. Ever. Um, and, you know, even the adult chefs will talk to them about, you know, what were their influences. And a lot of them will say, you know, they got started on YouTube or Food Network and they've been watching us for years or whatever. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I became interested in the craft and the art of being a chef from watching some stuff on television, but that's not where I learned it. Right. I learned it inside of the kitchen. You know, I fell in did love you go to school? with, um, I went to CIA. That's yeah, right. I did. Sorry. I did know that. Yeah, I, I fell in love with, uh, I don't know if you remember that show called the great chefs of Europe. Oh my God. Um, I just I talked love- to, who did I just speak to? Like three I need to get weeks some ago. Episodes of that. I don't know how, but I need it. It's like her voice. Me. Her voice. Yes, and do you know, Oh my God. 
there was a podcast. Oh my God. I have to, I will send you the link to the podcast. She was on it. She was on it. She was, um, I believe those chefs and those totes, that crisp fucking white apron that had not a spot on it. The jacket with the flags, not hearing their voices, hearing her narration. And they were all over the world. And do you know what? She's, she's maybe late eighties, maybe in her nineties. And she talked about how she didn't know anything about food. And she never met the chefs. She just it talked. It was very she just, rare that she would meet the chefs. Uh, and I always felt like she was there and she was telling me how so it did I. <laughs> and how yeah, they made it. And like, no, she was just this amazing narrator. She was awesome. Yeah. And she's so still alive. With that. She? Yes, she's still alive. And she is just, I think she's become this little, you know, this icon, this voice of experience. <laughs> I want her And on. I think she's just humbled by it, completely humbled by it. But my dad also introduced me to this movie. This was an older movie called Who's Killing the Great Chefs of Europe. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, oh wait, no, no. I, 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 yeah. With George Siegel and Jacqueline Bisset. Oh, God. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. I totally yeah. remember it. You're right. Yeah. Super cheesy. Like, George Siegel was the American guy, and he falls oh, in love with God. Jacqueline Bisset, who was uh, a pastry chef. And um, it's, a, it's a mystery, but it's it's very funny in a way, but each Did chef you? gets killed by their specialty of what, it, like uh, the one French chef has a pressed duck sauce and his, he gets pressed inside of the duck, oh God. The duck sauce thing. Yeah. Another one is a lobster. He was drowned in a lobster tank, you know, like, and of course they save the beautiful pastry chef at the end because her perfect dessert was the bomb and there was a bomb inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you the remember? The European chef? You know, I'd never seen before. Like this, there wasn't a, it was blue collar labor when I started. It wasn't a highly regarded career. So I did fall in love with some of it through television, but not the way chefs are today. Well, and it was, I I mean, there was, I mean, I remember working, I did my apprenticeship at the Four Seasons in Philly. And I remember peeling shallots, getting, you know, 50 pound bags of shallots. And Tony Clark standing behind me throwing shallots at me. Oh my God. And being like, that's not any fucking shallot. That's a four season shallot. And like, you know, they looked at me as a, as an, I worked for free. You know, I didn't get paid to work there. And do you know how to bone a duck out? No. Okay. Well, here you go. And they showed me two ducks and then dropped off 150 ducks in front of me. And they're like, now go, you know, and that's Uh what I learned. And I mean, the mistakes that I made in that kitchen, I think about all the time because they're mistakes that I learned from. You know, whether, oh, yeah. you know, no matter what you're doing. And, and I think a lot of that's gone away because I just had this conversation literally an hour before talking to you about the, you know, the shortcuts that are all over the place. Like my guys didn't know what to do because the mandolin broke one day and I'm like, well, oh, never are we going to have a mandolin in the restaurant again. Now we have a knife. Now we need to. I was know just going to say, I'm like, wait, what's the solution? Isn't it just a knife? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to take three razor blades and you're going to put them together and run your knuckles over them. <laughs> and then you're good to go. So. Somebody um, go to the slicer? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, look, I, my worst day ever in a kitchen, I, my worst day, my worst week ever, I took my thumb across the slicer doing rutabagas. Oh. And then went to the hospital, 11 stitches the next day, or then that was Friday, 
Tuesday, I walked in the restaurant, was cutting parsnips and took the other thumb off, the other no. tip of the thumb. Yeah. And then I have oh. 11 stitches in that finger to put them back together. And then on Thursday, I was doing Come potato on. chips. I was doing golf frets on the mandolin and ran my hand directly across the back of it <laughs> and took off the whole fat pad on my, I mean, I literally looked like it was a night, but you know what? I went to work the next fucking day. Like there wasn't, there's just, you know, and I'm expediting with 22 stitches and a huge gauze pad over my hand and that, but uh, you know, oh, I, 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 I got seven you know? stitches on my index finger on a slicer and I could right oh. now tell oh. you what that blade feels yep. like going through my finger. Sure. I can Absolutely. tell you, I can feel it. Oh, and it's, and there's, do you ever, are you ever cutting or you're ever slicing or you're doing something and you just kind of slow down for a second oh, yeah. because you can feel it? Because you can feel that pain. It's about to happen. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> God damn it. Or like the yeah. stupid shit when you get a pair of tongs when you first open the restaurant or a brand uh, new and you run them around your finger and now you've got a, no, 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 no. Now you've got no, a wedding no. ring. <laughs> I can't because I can feel it. I yeah, feel it. Those are, but that's the, Damn I it. mean, there's just too much. We were filming much. in my house the other day um, these videos and I, I put, uh, it, was, it was a searing. I wanted to show how to really sear something. It was like salmon and then there was chicken breast. And I, po- I pulled a chicken breast. I was doing skin side down the whole time in the oven. Pulled it out. We're doing the video, and then I go to grab the pan handle. Oh, yes. Because I'm doing the video, right? I'm talking. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Bare hand on this hot. I was like, didn't react at all. And Kathy yeah. looked at me. He was like, Can't drop it. you okay? I'm going to drop <laughs> I was it. like, yeah, no, I'm fine. And like an hour later, at this massive blister on my hand. Salt like, nope. or uh, vinegar and sugar. Make the paste. Yeah. It's a Haitian trick. You know trick. what? I, I don't know if my hands are so leathery at this point. <laughs> like, I just don't even feel it. It, it blisters up and then it goes away. Um, but I, was, I, I, I still do stuff day. like that. And when, I, when you grab a pan handle, there's like this electric shock that goes <laughs> through your whole body. But then the best is when you look down at your hand and the imprint yeah. of that handle yeah. with the right. hole at the end is right in the right. center of your palm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so fun. I was looking at my hands flying the other day, and I'm like, the shit that 26 years oh, yeah. to these, the amount of stitches. I mean, whatever, I'm doing it right now. I love it, though. But that's the, and, and I think that's what makes, what, what makes, what we do so enjoyable to other people because they can't do that. Could you imagine if a friend of yours grabbed a pan that hot? Oh, they'd be in the hospital. They would be in the hospital. They wouldn't cook again. Oh, you, what I, that, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that again. It would shy away from ever searing something again. I mean, you know, right. I, I've, and that's, about by the, the way, that's a normal reaction. We're abnormal. We are so fucked we up. We are the abnormal people. They're yeah. normal. <laughs> yeah. It's so We're bad. the weirdos who stick our hands into <laughs> pots of boiling water and grab a pasta to see what's done. Oh my boyfriend will look at me every time I do it. He's like, that water's boiling. I'm like, no, I just oh, yeah. try the pasta. Oh, he's, yeah. like, I, he's like, I don't understand your hands, your mouth, like the things that I can eat, the hot, hot things. Yes. I don't feel it. I my have girlfriend to it is a, a vegetarian and I cook at her house more than I cook at my own house. And, yeah. Uh, and it's so funny to just 
like she just watches. And to me, it's so I, it's so enjoyable to cook for her because it's all new for her. She's never seen right. it, you know that the like what it is that we do. And it's funny because I try to impress her, you know, because I want to sure. make something super cool for her. One, she's a vegetarian, so it's not like I'm right. just going to throw a steak in a pan like I normally would. Now I did get to cook for her daughter a couple nights ago, and I totally basted the steak, like across the board. Had so much fun right. doing, it. but there's her, yeah. I don't know. We are. We're a little nuts. A little we are nuts. a little nuts, but you know, I've been lucky Good. to be able to diversify now. So I get to travel, cook, I get to do stuff on television, which is the most exciting thing ever. Yeah. You know, I get to meet people from all walks of life that like what I do. And, you know, now I get to put out the easy series and, and get into people's kitchens. So I'm lucky. I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful. And I just want to keep going. I just want to keep trying new stuff and, Doing what well, I love and, to do. And we're constantly reinventing what it is that we do. And it's funny that you brought it back to the basics mm-hmm. for all those years. Because that's, you're right. You did. You kind of nailed it at one point. I have to do this. I have to do something grandiose. I've got to do something over the mm-hmm. top. I've got to do something. My demo at Mohegan Sun, my burners didn't work. Do you know what I did? Right. I made fried rice with an egg on top of it because I had one burner. You know, right. it was like you, you have to Make adapt and they loved it. They learned more about eggs. People had no idea that you could tell how old an egg was by the amount of, um, you know, by the albumin and what's coming off of the edge of it. And, you know, I mean, it was like, you're right about the educational part of it. Bring it back to the basics. Let them start People there. Love it. Yeah, I talk about salt. I talk about salt as if it's a life-saving technique. You know, the differences in salts and staying away from iodized salts and what minerals will do to you. And, and I love that shit. So, yeah, no, we're geeks. Oh, Lord. We're geeks. So what's going on for you next? So are, are you. Okay. So we're, we're making more easy AF. Um, we would love somebody to sponsor it. If you know any brands that love Amanda Freitag. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, <laughs> And then the Tournament of Champions is airing March 4th with Guy Fieri. So you can watch me cook. You can watch me nice. compete. Uh, we are in studio doing more tops, which is amazing. Thank you, everybody who watches that show. We love what we do. It's one of the number one shows on Food Network. We want to keep it going. We've been doing it for 11 years now. And we just love it. So we're doing more of that. And I just have, you know, some travel coming up. And I want to just keep um, putting myself out there. I'm open to anything. Nice. Well, and, if you're you know, in Philly, maybe I'd someday love, I'll know, be back in a restaurant. But I'd love to throw a slab of ribs. So maybe it's in Philly. Yeah, come on down to Philly. I'll I'll give you some good old fashioned Texas barbecue. I'll with take a lot it. Of fun oh my flair. god. Yeah, we have a good I'm time down there. So. Right now. What'd you say? I'll let you know when I'm down there. I'm starving right now. <laughs> I know. I got to go. I have, uh, I'm interviewing after you, a friend of mine who um, just got finished doing the World Marathon Challenge. Seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. Um, Whoa. Yeah. And then he came home and four days later, his car got fourth place at Daytona 500. So he's had a pretty Come on. Who is meet. this? Superman. Uh, his, name's, his name's Rick, uh, Rick Steele. Oddly enough, that's his real name is Rick Steele. Come on. Yeah. And he's a, he's a, he's a good buddy of mine. And he's a, he's a, a, a quality individual and he loves food. Absolutely loves food. I've cooked in his kitchens and, um, he's, he's a good oh, dude. He needs um, fuel, obviously. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, no, if you're ever in Philly, let me know when you're back down here and, uh, I'd love to, 
connect, buy a drink or something, and um, meet your buddy that. and uh, go from yeah. there. So great. Thank you. Great. Well, very thank much. You. It was great talking to you. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Everybody was listening. Thanks for tuning in. No, it was it was uh, great to have a conversation with you. And like I said, I mean, you know, seeing you up at Mohegan, and I've been a fan, and and you know, oh, you know, you. kind of from afar to watch your stuff and your approachability, and you know, because a lot of times, you know, we sometimes people take it too far and they get a little big, and and it's it, to do an event like that where you're standing in front of all of these people um, is super cool because you meet people yeah. that are really interested in what it is that you do and your personality and um, and they know you that's the fucking yeah. weird part is they know you, you know? I know they know your stuff still, know it's your... still shocking to me it's still shocking to me after all these years yeah. I'm so humbled by it I am and I will continue to be well Rock and roll to you. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You. I really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Amanda. Bye-bye. Cheers. Well, there we go. Come on. How can you not like this goddamn show? We talked to some really cool people. I mean, that was, a, uh, you know, I, I had, I always say that we want to exceed the expectations for whatever it is that we do, whether it is uh, in a job, in life, in meeting people. And all that stuff. And there are a few people that I would really like to talk to. And Amanda was one of them. Um, I've watched her stuff for a long time. I was, uh, you know, I was a fan of her um, from seeing her on TV and stuff like that, because you, 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 you kind of get to know people and you like the responses and you like the way that people do things. And um, when I started to do more research on Amanda, just to find out as a person who she was, and I saw her background in food, that to me was just, it was, it was a, a, a cool thing. You know, she's a chef. Um, there's a lot of chefs out there that, you know, that are, that play that role on TV and they play that role in a judging, um, capability, but to have, you know, the select few that have that platform to do what it is that they do in those settings, like she's doing right now, um, I think is super cool. And, and I, I, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up somebody's ass when I say that I really enjoy their work because I really enjoy the easy AF stuff that she does because it's, I understand as well what people are looking for. And I understand the world that she was talking about where she said, you know, I felt like I had to do these bigger dishes and, you know, things that were more technique involved. But in reality, what people are looking for is the tidbits of information. You can graduate up to those things, but to start at the basics of here's a knife, let me show you how to dice an onion is a really important thing because people don't know that. And in this day and age, I think people are a little bit more afraid to ask because you can look at a video and you can watch it happen on YouTube with an overhead camera, just showing the slices through, the dice is coming across, whatever it is. But there's something about that personality of somebody who is, you know, a New Jersey girl living in New York, run, who was in kitchens for many years. That's a cool thing. So, Amanda, thank you so much for uh, hopping on with us. I really appreciate that. Um, taking time out of your day with all the stuff that you've got going on is uh, uh, was something that that uh, was big for me. And you're, you're so fast to reply um, when I had messaged you and you know, the fact that you had said that you remembered, you know, the interaction of us meeting up at Mohegan was pretty cool to me as well. So, um, so thanks for that very much. I appreciate it. Um, boys and girls, that's our show for this week. This is Duffified Live. Um, we put this whole thing together with a couple of people that are really important to me. Um, we've got the boys down there, Jerry and uh, Jason at Radio Influence. Um, get the podcast out. If you want to do a podcast, 100% chance to know if you don't ask everybody. I know you're tired of hearing me say that, but I live by that motto. I shoot for the moon. I will ask 
for whatever it is that I want. And I will be able to deal with that. You know, what happens afterwards? If somebody says that, uh, you know, I can't get it, then okay, that's the way that it works. But you got to ask for things and, and don't hesitate. We're all on this earth to, in reality, to help other people and to put things together for people. And we're all connectors and we all have different reaches to different people in this world that can help other people. So um, for me, it's like I said, I want Amanda to meet Jojo. Joanne Chinchuli, I want those two to meet. That's a that's an important thing for me um, because uh, I think that they would collaborate really well and just make a brilliant, brilliant book together. So um, everybody get out there and follow Amanda um, Freitag. She is on Instagram and Twitter and all the good stuff. And check her out on her YouTube channel um, with her new show that's out there all the time or on Instagram stories, which is uh, uh, Amanda Easy AF. So go have fun with that. Um, I already did that part, didn't I? Now I'm talking about the people that are on the show. So Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our uh, our illustrations, I'm stoked to see what she's going to come up with for Amanda on this one. And then uh, we've also got Michelle out there at Techno Solutions. So boys and girls, do me a favor. Thanks so much for listening to Duffified Live this week. Have a great day and go out and be nice to people. Man. See you. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 